is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America. With your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and uh, it's great to be back with you guys doing the podcast, uh, less than an hour, four segments, quick, straight to the point, and I want to start off with a story that came out this week, uh, a few days ago. I didn't speak about it on radio because I wanted to see how it materialized, and also because I hadn't seen any audio or video of it at the time, I'd only read the reports, and We'd heard these things before, right? We've heard uh, how how people tend to uh, to mess things up. Excuse me. So, what I'm talking about is how so few people, and it seems to me so few people. I thought it was a relatively uh, a small minority of people, but it seems it's the exact opposite. It's a minority of people that actually know. So, I'm going to let everybody in on the secret. And I believe you in this audience are very smart people. I know you know this, but this is so that you could tell your friends. Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States. It is not another country. It's not a foreign country. You don't need a passport to go there. Everybody born in Puerto Rico is an American citizen. Now, as much as I think that that's um, common knowledge and everybody knows that, sadly, it's not the case. It's not the case. And there's two stories this week about this. So I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's crazy. I really do. And I mean, there were stories back when I was in government where uh, a woman who was a chief of staff to a very high-ranking government official uh, also didn't know that Puerto Rico was part of the United States. The interesting part is Puerto Rico has been part of the United States for, I don't know, over 100 years. Yeah, so I just it just blows me away. But I'm trying to be gracious here and and realize that, you know what, I guess, I guess that maybe because my family uh, is is made up of Americans uh, from Puerto Rico that I guess I've always known this. So uh, I'm going to take that for what that's worth. But yeah, it just, it, it really strikes me as somewhat odd that that's the case. But we have a couple of stories this week. One of them is a Puerto Rican family. And again, um, this is a family that lives in Puerto Rico, was asked to show a passport and then denied access to a flight domestically from Los Angeles to Puerto Rico because they were saying they didn't have a passport for their toddler. I mean, that's crazy, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But the, the bigger of the two stories, I think, is one where a guy gets off the plane, connecting flight, lands at like midnight, shows up at a Hertz dealer, uh, a rental car place in the airport, and the person working at Hertz tells him that because he has an out-of-state license, he needs a passport. And he says, well... Uh, it's never happened to me before. I'm a gold card member and I prepaid this stuff with Hertz. Nobody told me when I made the reservation and paid for it already that I would need to present a passport. So this woman goes on and on and she's confusing out of the country with out of the state. And you'll hear her do that in a moment. Um, we've got a couple of clips of this. I'm going to walk you through the whole thing because I'm really, I'm going to say this is embarrassingly sad. The ignorance is embarrassingly sad. But anyway, I'm going to give you a little bit of context right after you listen to the audio. Check this out. All right, so this gentleman, we have a policy here. 
with the uh, All right, so this is the woman from Hertz. She's explaining to the police who've now been called because the guy gets into an argument with them saying, look, uh, I, I'm, I have a U.S. driver's license. He presented that license. She says that's not cool. He's recording this because he finds it uh, crazy that, that they won't rent him a car. And she decides to call the cops. And now she's explaining to the officer what happened. You have to have your passport. My folks are in there. Let them know they have to have his passport. In that instance, he got our rate. And he also um, started recording everybody. And I asked him to leave. And now he doesn't want to leave. And he continues to record and give them a hard time. In the What's the issue? First, I disagree with her version of the facts. I did not respect anyone. I was very polite. I did record because I wanted to make a point. You were recording to make a point? I want to make a claim to Hertz, a patient claim to Hertz, because I'm being denied prepaid reservation. I'm a, whole, I'm a gold member for many years. I'm talking years. I've been, tra- I'm, I've been renting with Hertz for like... I don't care. Uh, but but just, just to give you the context, for, more, for over a decade I've been renting with Hertz. I don't care. I have never been... All right, let's pause it right there. So now... This is a Kenner, uh, Louisiana police officer. And uh, again, he's been on the scene for, I don't know, 30 seconds. And uh, in that 30 seconds, he's told the guy, what's the issue? Um, being very curt with the guy. Uh, secondly, tells him three times in, in, I don't know, 10 seconds. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't understand what this guy's problem is. Uh, for now, we're going to call him Officer Pendejo because we don't know his name because the Kenner Police Department is protecting him. But they did release his body cam footage, and that's what we're listening to, the the video of the body cam. Now, I find this to be remarkable because, again, if you're a cop, your number one job, nobody there is hitting anybody. Nobody there is being violent. Uh, What's happening here is a dispute amongst people. And... And he's getting the facts, right? He gets the facts from the one lady and from the other lady. Now, I can understand an officer rolling up, being a little frustrated if this is like the fifth call he's had to the same location. And he happens to know this person as a regular offender. And he's like, listen, if I saw you again, I was going to, you know, that's a whole different story. But this is a guy. And again, to give you some context, um, this guy is. He doesn't look like a homeless individual. He's dressed fairly well. Uh, he's being very polite. I think he's rather articulate. He explains the case. He even says, look, I want to add, uh, you know, to give you a little context, I'm explaining that I've been renting cars here for whatever. Now, for whatever it's worth, I, I I believe that he should have told the officer at the first question when he said, what's the issue? I would have said, my issue's not with you. I didn't call the police. The woman called the police. But he wanted to sit there and, and go into it with the cop. Continue. Denied because I'm a resident of Puerto Rico. I live in Puerto Rico. I'm a retired federal law enforcement officer, which you can only be a federal law enforcement officer if you're a United States citizen. So by virtue of that, I'm explaining that to them. I don't have my passport because I don't need to travel with my passport when I'm in the United States. So I don't have it with me. Oh, my, the license in Puerto Rico is just a valid uh, U.S. government ID. All right, now listen. The last... U.S. territory that had the same status, Commonwealth status, as Puerto Rico. Which one was it? All right, I'll give you the answer. Oklahoma, right? The last uh, territory to become a state, Oklahoma. And so just imagine if you had an Oklahoma license prior to when it became a state. I don't know, whatever it was, uh, probably a hundred something years ago. And, and I don't even think it was that long ago. But anyway, 
the, the point I'm making is, and you being denied saying, no, well, you don't have a U.S. license. Well, of course you have a U.S. license, right? If it's a U.S. territory and it's a U.S. driver's license. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. This is not even debatable. Hertz has already chimed in and said, yes, we, we don't do this. This is not our policy. It was clearly the Hertz woman that got the whole thing confused. Uh, but what's really ugly here is the way the officer treats this person and how this woman treats this person. And to me, how they're both wrong and dumb. Listen to this. So what's the issue with their policies and you? I don't, I need to get to my son who's waiting for me. So I want to process, I have a prepaid reservation already paid for. It's not that I'm, it's not that I'm making a new reservation. It's being paid for the three uh, weeks. Like the so they're denying me the reservation. That's basically my complaint. Because they need a passport. Correct? So what's the issue? That's the first time I heard that from Hertz. Okay. So he continues to go, what's the issue? What's the issue? Now, if you're paying attention to the officer, I understand the guy. The guy has a uh, he's he's disgruntled. He has a problem. He's trying to get a car. It's late at night. I mean, I'm I'm a pretty sympathetic guy. I'm not being nice to him because he's a Puerto Rican guy. I'm, I'm being nice to him because I see how I could be in that situation. I fly around, I go places, people tend to screw me over and things. And uh, like I'm getting screwed over with this license plate thing from a place called Hassett Ford being too cheap to send me an extension on my temporary plate on a car that I purchased from them. And now I'm like, you know, leery to drive around in this car because I feel like I'm going to get a ticket. Anyway, uh, their response to me, well, if you get a ticket, we'll pay for it. Yeah, talk about pendejos. Anyway, back to this story. So we're talking about this. And, uh, and they're going back and forth. And this cop is either he started at midnight and he's just miserable to be on the job or he gets off at midnight and he's dying to go home. Let's continue. I understand your personal issue is not getting a vehicle, but if they can't reach the vehicle, is there any reason to cause a scene in there and have us come out here? I showed them this. Let's this. pause right there. So again, now, the guy isn't causing a scene. Honestly, if you listen to the way anybody's talking here, the guy that's the aggrieved party seems to be the the... The, the calmest and the most eloquent and the one that's being the most reasonable. The cop seems like he's had 14 cups of coffee too many or he needs another 14 cups of coffee. The girl is absolutely oblivious to anything that's uh, right and true and correct. She doesn't know what's going on. And it, it just this is such a bizarre scene. And we're cutting it down into clips because it's about seven minutes long. And I don't want to, you know, you have to deal with the whole thing. But I'm trying to give you the most relevant parts. Let's continue. If they need a pa- if doesn't, regardless of what your driver's license says, if they say you need a pass- This is another valid U.S. Okay. US uh, ID. Okay, if you're claiming that you're a federal officer, then maybe you can understand the words that are coming out of my mouth a little bit more clear for the third time. If they say you need a passport, and you don't have one, and they say you need a passport to rent a car, what is your problem? If they need a passport, okay, if I don't and you don't have pause one, it right there. So, again, now, when was the last time you heard a cop talk to anybody like that? Uh, I can't imagine how if if the cop wants to resolve a problem and use a verbal judo to de-escalate here, he's doing a miserable job. Right. Uh, I, I can tell you what he's doing would have worked really well with me. It looks like he was either looking to kick the guy out or lock the guy up. He definitely would have got to lock me up because I would have lost my mind if, if this guy started doing that. How do you? I accept that from another human being. I just don't see how that works. But this is the, 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 especially after saying, look, I'm a retired federal law enforcement officer. 
could care less. The guy could care less. There's no professional courtesy. He wasn't asking him for a favor. He was trying to explain to him, I can't be a federal law enforcement person uh, if I wasn't a U.S. citizen. Now, most cops, I'm going to go on a limb here and say nine out of ten. And again, I'm basing this on my own experience. I've got a brother who's a federal agent who used to be NYPD and completed his whole 20 years in NYPD. Another brother who was NYPD. And I always wanted to be a cop and really um, was in business and didn't have the ability to to do that career change. So I volunteered and joined the reserve unit in the town I lived in, went to Essex County College, did the... Um, the abbreviated 90 day police uh, program that they had and um, and served for two years on patrol. So, um, you know, again, the, the, I did court duty as a bailiff and we did you know p- parades. And, you know, if there was traffic and extreme weather, I didn't do any re- really, you know, car chase stuff. Uh, but I understand uh, a lot of things from professionalism and respect to, you know, in New Jersey, the um, the uh, the use of force guidelines and all of that. So uh, all I can say is this guy, typically nine out of 10 cops, if you say, hey, look, I'm a federal officer from a retired federal uh, uh, federal officer, they're typically going to say, you got some ID? Can I see your ID? So they can corroborate the fact that what you're claiming is true. And at that point, try and take it easy and say something like, all right, look, I don't think we're going to get anything resolved here. I really understand your position. Here's what I think you should do. I think you should give them a call on Monday, uh, you know, or tomorrow morning when they're open during business hours. Call the corporate office. I, I don't think you're going to get anywhere with the, the attendant working in the airport little kiosk. Uh, but hopefully you can get this resolved tomorrow. And hopefully you have a way to maybe go to another car dealer and get a car with them. That would have been one potential thing. Another thing would have been like, ma'am, uh, is there a difference? Um, and again, maybe he didn't have to interject himself, but again, de-escalation, you're trying to solve a problem, right? So maybe asking her, ma'am, um, is there anybody on your end that you could call to just verify that when he made the reservation that he was told he needed a passport or if there is a, a waiver that he could fill out or maybe you, your manager could make an exception so that we could all go home and, and try and resolve this peaceably since you did take the guy's money and blah, 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 right? That, that's another way of going about this. Uh, but it seemed he was just annoyed, wanted to give this guy a heart. So what's the problem? So what's the problem? So what's the problem? And and it just seems to me done in very poor taste. A uh, guy like this shouldn't be a cop. If this is how he responds to a, uh, a quote unquote disturbance at, at a car rental place at an airport, imagine how this guy's going to respond when he rolls up to a domestic or something else. I mean, it's just, it's scary to think that this guy is the guy that we're counting on to protect us. Continue. Then what's the problem? What is what is it? What and is that, that dividing and, line and, that you can't figure out that they're not going to reach you a car without a passport? And let me let me let me clarify. You, they said to me there. Nobody said right now that if you are from out of state, like if you're from Texas or California, you need to show your passport. If you're in Texas and California, you have a Texas or California driver's license. No, no, but you said that if you are from out of state. You need to show that that's not out of country, that's the U.S. When you travel from Puerto Rico to mainland USA... Regardless of what, sir, we have multiple different customers that come here that have an out-of-the-country driver's license that present a passport. This is not an out-of-country driver's license. He's explained it to you, I'm explaining it to you. Because we cannot rent you. And because you recorded us, I'm not giving All right. So three things here I want to cover. Uh, Number one, the cop says, well, because you're a former federal law enforcement officer, maybe you'll understand the words coming out of my mouth a little bit better. Excuse me. 
I mean, how bad is it to get a, a simple assault or, or a, a disorderly person, you know, for, for going at it with the cop? And again, I'm not advocating this, but this it seems like he was looking for this. He was goading the guy by being such a jerk, like an unconscionable prick. I, I don't understand this cop's position, but I'm glad the other guy was very experienced and was willing and patiently schooling them on. He was clearly right. And it just, I find this remarkable that we're in 2024 and that we have cops that don't know geography and people that rent cars that don't know geography. And on top of that, they're ignorant to boot. Just blows me away. Now, she goes on to say, if you're out of state, out of state, out of state, and then she changes it quickly to out of country, at which point, again, the officer could have said, well, look, let's try and resolve this, right? We want to resolve this peaceably. Nobody made an effort to make this thing better. Every may, everybody was making an effort to make it worse. And her final statement, she says, and because you recorded us, you're never going to rent a, another car from Hertz ever. How do you make such a statement when you're working midnights at Hertz renting cars? I, I'm not putting down her job, but I'm saying clearly she doesn't have the authority to make this determination and she makes it anyway. The whole thing is horrible, and I'm spending as much time as I am on this. And if you're thinking, Rich, I want to hear about the debt ceiling. I want to hear about Biden. I, we're going to get to that. But I, I wanted to put this out there because, to me, this is a horrible problem. And this is part of the eroding fabric of our country, the eroding fabric of our educational system. This is such an ugly thing. And again, some of the characters here, we don't know who the cop is because he's being correct, uh, protected by his department, Kenner, Louisiana Police. We don't know the young lady's name, but we do know... Uh, the gentleman uh, in the film is Humberto Marchand, Humberto Marchand. And he is, uh, again, a retired federal probation officer who was given an extremely hard time. And the uh, Hertz people uh, eventually did issue uh, an apology, uh, which I think was, you know, obviously appropriate because, shoot. They uh, they really, really uh, did a number on this guy. All right. And according to CNN, here's the statement from Hertz. Quote, we sincerely regret that our policy was not followed and have apologized to Mr. Marchand and refunded his rental. That's what a company spokesperson said. We are reinforcing our policies with employees to ensure that they understand and follow our policies consistently, uh, consistently across all of our locations. Now. I'm glad that they did that. Kudos to them for doing the right thing. I mean, I guess if you give kudos for doing what's right, but the, the whole thing is just bizarre. And I don't know if Hertz has 24 hour customer service. I know I would have gotten on the phone and tried to resolve it with somebody at Hertz uh, saying, hey, look, uh, there's a little bit of a misunderstanding here. I think your employee is misunderstanding where I'm from and, you know, explaining it that way. But whatever the case was, I'm actually very happy that this went the way it did. Because there's a video now that will live on in perpetuity on the internet and everywhere else uh, where we now know that individuals in the United States don't even know the geography of their own country. And uh, I mean, I think if you don't know that Guam is a territory and that the U.S. Virgin Islands are a territory and that Puerto Rico is a territory, um, I, I think that, you know, we should revisit that. Right. We offer a citizenship test to those who want to become citizens and no test to those that are citizens. And I mean, I never thought I'd even bring this up, but it's just it's, it's a sad day in America where things like this are happening to other Americans. 
Um, and, you know, some people might criticize me and say I spent too much time on this. Some might say, well, this is, you know, thanks to your buddy Trump and all his build the wall rhetoric. I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. And if it is, then, you know, uh, shame on the cop, shame on, on this girl, shame on Hertz. Um, all of them. Everybody needs to do better. This, in my opinion, is unacceptable. Just like this negotiation that we're seeing uh, in Washington between Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden, or I should say this lack of negotiation where Biden says, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not. I'll show up to the talk, but I'm not bending on anything. We're going to raise that debt ceiling. We're going to spend money. And that's that. And now you've got Democrats all across the, uh, the country saying we're going to have to invoke the 14th Amendment. More on that straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There's yeah, safe. I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right. Going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to. Be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. And I want to talk a little bit about the debt ceiling. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it because there's been no change. There's no movement. But good old uh, Kevin McCarthy, he's still at it and he's still getting Biden on the record, right? He got him on the record every time that he was out there saying, well, you know, we uh, we haven't heard from the White House. We haven't heard. So finally gets the president to cut his vacation short, come back. They have their conversation. But now the White House is walking away from the table. And McCarthy's there to let everybody know what's going on. Listen to this. Well, we, we've got to get movement by the White House. We don't have any movement yet. So, uh, yeah, we've got to pause. The tone, the tone seemed really optimistic yesterday. Is it so yeah, the easy I mean, yesterday, stuff's done and the hard stuff's left? I really felt we were at the location where I could see the path. The, the White House is just, look, we can't be spending more money next year. We have to spend less than we spent the year before. It's pretty easy. It is pretty easy. It's a very simple concept. McCarthy says, these are the conditions to me making a deal. Now, again, I want to be extremely clear because I know that a lot of people don't take interest in this. Some do, some don't. But for those who've never cared about the fiscal situation of the United States, please pay a little bit of attention. I'll give you a little bit of rudimentary understanding because that's really all I have myself. I'm not an economist. Uh, I, I'm, uh, this isn't my thing. But I get simple things. I've run a few businesses and I understand you know, if you have money in your pocket, you have money in your pocket. And if you don't have money in your pocket, you don't have money in your pocket. So this is in the most simple terms that I could imagine. McCarthy put it out there very simply saying, look, we cannot spend the the amount of money that we spent when we were trying to bail ourselves out of COVID. Right. It's that simple. We spent a, I don't know, six trillion dollars. 
Uh, we can't do that. We're not allowed to spend $6 trillion every year. It, that's the thing. COVID is over. Uh, it was a mistake. And whether you want to debate it or not, and I believe it was a mistake to shut down the economy and start paying people to stay home and, and all the things that we did. But the government is like, well, we spent all that money. We want to continue to spend at those levels. And McCarthy's saying, no, we have to get back to pre-pandemic spending. And that's it. We get back to that. We, we will increase the debt limit. But we're not going to increase the debt limit just so that we could keep spending at the COVID rate of $6 trillion and whatnot during the Biden years. No. And, and, and granted, uh, uh, there was close to $2 trillion in spending from Trump's final days in office because that was when we were actually in the pandemic. We were already kind of on the uh, on the upswing uh, of the economy coming back and everything kind of uh, dissipating by the time Biden was taking office. So, you know, it was really 2020 where we bore the brunt of this. But all that being said, we already know that we're not going to default on our debt, that these are just lies from the Democrats. Right. Republicans aren't saying that we're going to default on our debt and that the full faith and credit of the United States is going to suffer, right? None of the Republicans are saying that because it's not. There's enough money coming in for us to be able to cover the debt service on our debt. So the bills will be paid. What we're talking about, think of it in your own home. We have enough money to pay our bills. We don't have enough money to go on vacation. So honey, we're not taking out a new credit card just to go on that cruise for a family of four. We're not doing that. We're going to live within our means and the, as best as we can. That's where we are. But Biden's saying, no, 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 no. We got to go on that cruise. We got to raise the debt limit. And he gets all his Democrat friends to do it and, and join in this chorus of just saying things that aren't true. One of which is that we're going to default on our debt. Now, I'll tell you something that is true. Only the president could trigger this default on debt if he really wanted to. And that would be kind of crazy for him to say, you know, we're not paying it. Taking executive action to not pay these these debts, and I'm going to do it so that we can make the Republicans look bad. And all he has to do is get on TV and talk, because if the president talks, the world listens. And he'll get on TV and he'll say, you know, "The Republicans have chosen to put us into default," and blah blah. Even though he's doing it, and this is why it's important that we pay attention and we be sober-minded, informed patriots, like Reagan called us to be. Right? He also called on us to be happy conservative warriors. But anyway, I uh, I, I want to drill that point home. Now, I also want to say that the latest talking point as of Friday, everybody in Congress is going out on the airwaves. Let me see. I got a whole bunch of them, but I only want to play one for you because it it um, it kind of underscores the entire point Um, is uh, before I get into that, I'll get into all these Congress people, you know, chiming in on this new talking point. But I want to underscore this this point with um, the White House walking away from McCarthy. Right. Because basically. They need to play ball. They have to play ball. And McCarthy's taking a pause because obviously he can't sit there and and um, play this game forever. So I think it's a good idea. Everybody take a break for a second and then we come back. These are high stakes talks on the debt ceiling. And uh, they were they were took a break for six hours. And that was uh, triggered by McCarthy and the negotiators walking out of the room in frustration because Biden wouldn't budge. Now, one of the toughest sticking points in the talks has been the question of spending caps. And and this is part of it. They're like, look, we will agree to increase the debt limit, but we can't spend the way you want to spend. 
And I think that's fair considering Congress has the power of the purse and you're negotiating with the Speaker of the House, who's the leader of Congress. Um, it's a good idea to, to work with the guy because you're never going to get anything passed if he doesn't bring his conference into it. Right. So, I mean, let's be smart here, President Biden. But no. Uh, so uh, McCarthy's saying they're going to be back in the room tonight, uh, being meaning Friday night, and that they're going to continue this conversation. He's saying it's very frustrating to come into the room and think we're going to spend more and more money, more and more money this year. And that's not how it's going to happen. So I'm glad that he's being very clear and and what he's doing. Um, and I really hope that Biden gets on board with this and stops trying to to try to hang this on on Republicans when they're just saying spend less money and you got a deal. And I think most Americans should be on board with that. But of course, Democrats are using emotional blackmail like usual. And who are the usual suspects? Bernie Sanders, right? Bernie Sanders is saying the Republicans are refusing to cut defense spending. So that's why uh, we're in this problem. He also says, well, you know what we got to do on Thursday? He said we have to uh, amend the, the, the situation here to allow for President Biden to invoke the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. As, as if that were a thing that could actually happen. It's not a thing. It's really not a thing. The 14th Amendment is, is one of those interesting amendments that allows for like chain migration as well as um, or it doesn't really allow for chain migration. But that's how they came up with that idea. And uh, also um, the, uh, the question of paying our our debt. And of course, it's constitutional that the country pay its debt. That that is true. Uh, I would argue that the 14th Amendment is always invoked, and that's why the United States has never defaulted on its debt. So that if Biden triggers a default, then this is in fact Biden violating the 14th Amendment, which is an impeachable offense, and that's how I would frame it to him. But he's not alone, right? He's got Bernie Sanders on his on his team. He's got Senator John Fetterman saying that we should use the 14th Amendment. And of course, good old AOC all out crazy. Good old AOC all out crazy says we must use the 14th Amendment. Listen to this. The 14th Amendment. What's your, your view about that option? I think the grounds for it are legitimate. I think the president should absolutely have this on the table. And I actually think that this is something that transcends ideology among Democrats. Yeah. We are seeing moderate and progressive Democrats alike coming together saying that we should not be in this situation. The Constitution tells us that it is a violation to not honor our debts, period. And so this is not an area of political negotiation. Now, what's interesting is in the 247 years that this country has been around, there has always been a negotiation on budgets, right? There, there's always a negotiation on budgets. And this is not the first time that we've had a stalemate with Congress and the White House. Yet AOC make it, makes it seem as if we've never done this before. We've never had to, um, you know, um, a, a debt ceiling uh, uh, discussion um, it, it, as if this was new. And that like, you know, if this doesn't happen, we're going to have to trigger the 14th Amendment. And again, I'm reminding you, the 14th Amendment is always triggered in this regard. When has the United States not paid its bills? Now, the only ones flirting with that idea are the Democrats. And they're the only ones with the, really the power to do it, right? Biden's the only one that can say, we're, we're, we're not going to do this. We're not. It's not going to happen. Because he's he, the ball's in his court. 
Congress has the power of the purse, and they're saying, you, as long as you go here within this guideline, we, we're going to increase spending, right? We're going to increase the debt limit. It just, it, it blows me away that this is even a topic of conversation, but that's where we are. So White House officials uh, now commented, you know, through leaks, obviously, uh, on how likely President Biden is to use the 14th Amendment, and it's not looking too likely. Uh, White House officials have privately said that they do not see the 14th Amendment as a viable way to get around debt negotiations. Duh, of course not. Now, while they think Biden would have the legal authority to pull the trigger if he chose to, they say it's not worth the risk of blowing up negotiations with Congress or damaging the world's faith in U.S. credit worthiness. Absolutely my point. Biden would be the one triggering this problem. A default would be from the president not from Congress. They're not saying they're not going to pay. They're saying we have the money to pay the bills. We just can't increase the debt to spend more money. So this would have to be technically on Biden. But this uh, anonymous source from the White House says they haven't ruled it out. One advisor to the White House told Politico, but it's not currently part of the plan. Instead, the White House negotiators are advocating for a pact that lifts the debt ceiling into 2025 and caps spending for as little as two years. So it looks like they're McCarthy's trying to get them to not spend money for ever. <laughs> and they're trying to go for two years. And uh, this is where the negotiation is. And I hope they end up in a good place. Uh, and no matter what it is, honestly, this is a win for McCarthy because Biden's going to have to capitulate here. In my opinion, if I'm wrong, let me know at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez. Only time will tell, but I'm pretty sure we're going to avoid a shutdown. And I'm pretty, and even if we don't, that'd be even better. Ultimately, I think this hurts Biden. That's my take. Um, many, many of my colleagues disagree with me. Anyway, we're also going to talk about reparations. And you're never going to guess which pop star and their children would qualify for reparations under California's new plan. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. The 45th president, Donald Trump, thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good. It's an honor. Thanks, Rich. The honor is all yours. Conservative talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to quickly remind you that um, I've been away from the podcast as regularly as I was doing it because back in October, I took a, a nightly job working in radio, doing a three-hour show every single night. And uh, I'm loving it. It's a fantastic program. Uh, it was hosted by Jim Bohannon for three decades by the great Larry King before him. And we're on from 10 o'clock at night to 1 o'clock in the morning every single weeknight, Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the radio station in New York where I broadcast from is WFAS AM 1230. But again, we go out on the airwaves to about 300 affiliate stations right across the country, even into Alaska. So it's really cool. I hope that you could check out the program, tune into the show, and you can always listen live right through our website, Rich Valdez, America at night. 
com. That's Rich Valdez, America at night.com. I really hope you could join us live because that's when it's most fun. You could call in, you could hear everything as it's going on. I try to pride myself on not doing a lot of pre-tape stuff so that as I'm doing it, you're doing it. We're all doing it together. We're, it's all happening. So if it happened during the daytime, we're talking about it at nighttime on America at night with me, Rich Valdez. Make sure you tune in Rich Valdez, America at night.com. Now, California has a new reparations law, and uh, some are saying it's a scam. And believe it or not, there's a pop star whose kids would actually get payouts if this thing goes into effect, right? But I want you to hear this first clip of audio that we have on this. Check this out. The United States has a moral and legal obligation to provide reparations for the enslavement of Africans. Black people in our country cannot wait any longer for our government to begin addressing each and every one of the extraordinary bits of harm, all of the harm it has caused since the founding. So that's Representative Cori Bush. Uh, She's outside the Capitol building on Wednesday, uh, claiming that the United States has a moral and legal obligation to provide reparations for the enslavement of people. Now, what's interesting is that in California, where this is having the most traction, California, as you know, was never a slave state. And um, yet it's going to be, I think, the first state to approve this $200 million plan on reparations. And uh, we covered some of that on the radio show. But I want to just give you this little factoid that that uh, I saw here that California's new reparations scam would allow the late, great Michael Jackson's kids to get payouts. <laughs> They're saying that California's reparations is a con game like the Nigerian Prince email scam, <laughs> which I know all too well. Those are so funny. Now, back in 2020, the California legislature passed uh, Assembly Bill 3121, which created a nine-person task force to study California's what they call, quote, complicity in slavery, end quote. The task force would be authorized to make recommendations to this legislature about payments, also known as reparations. Now, if one could even prove that this thing uh, happened, it would be interesting. But the whole theory is dubious. And the economic state of blacks today is a result of America's legacy of slavery, right? This is something that just can't be proved. But the state of California wouldn't be the first uh, or the last to try to, to, to make this happen. Since 1850, when California became a state, its constitution expressly forbid slavery. And it never supported the Confederacy during the Civil War. It turns out that California didn't promote slavery. Today, it is one of the places willing to entertain these crazy ideas, though. So rather than focus on how California's poor public schools have failed the poor black kids and poor white kids alike, or how its anti-business and regulatory climate has eroded their ability uh, for poorer residents to climb out of poverty into the middle class, the elites in the state have moved to distract disadvantaged voters with a reparations con. Again, this is uh, Horace Cooper in Fox News that um, put this piece together. So uh, I think it's funny because, again, he uh, he summarizes saying it's a, it's a high-stakes con game that will prove no more beneficial to blacks in California than the typical recipients of the Nigerian Prince email scam. 
the reparations task force has already pledged that 80% of California's 2.6 million black residents would be granted reparations. The task force can't achieve this goal, even if it was legal because it's not legal, (laughs) but it's not. And it's just so fascinating because the amount of money it would cost, uh, the math doesn't work. Cooper points out, Uh, If all eligible blacks in California were merely given $1,000 in reparations, the cost to California would exceed $2 billion. But that compensation would in no way equal the staggering claims made by the racial alarmists that push for reparations. Um, Think about $1,000, right? That would be a minimal thing for the injuries that they claim to have endured. So this this fuzzy math that they're using isn't going to work. And ultimately, for one year of these reparations, using this measure, the state would be on the hook for, listen to this number, $200 billion. In 2022, their state budget was $300 billion. Does it sound crazy yet? So um, I don't think this one's going to happen. We already know that Gavin Newsom's doing a horrible job with his budget. And uh, he's flying through, um, burning through the cash and just doing a horrible job. So this reparation seems to be, uh, seems to me to be a very, very, very bad idea. And one that just isn't going to take flight in any way, shape or form. Anyway, um, we're going to wrap this thing up in the next segment. Uh, I just wanted to kind of string all of my thoughts together. Thanks for putting up with me because I, I know I had a lot to go through today from the debt ceiling to the uh, egregious ignorance with the imbeciles on uh, on the Puerto Rico story. And, of course, uh, some final thoughts coming up straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. Oh, he's so handsome. What's his name? Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And again, I want to remind you and encourage you to listen to the live radio show that we do every night, Rich Valdez, America at Night. We talk about all of the issues of the day, and it's a um, a program that's based on interviewing guests, followed by a whole straight hour of taking calls from all over the country, and it's all live. And uh, this week, we had some amazing guests, as we do every week, I have to say. We have a great team. But one of the guests had testified in Congress earlier on Thursday and then was on our show that night. And he was one of the FBI whistleblowers. And it was an amazing conversation. I think you should check it out. Um, his name was Stephen Friend. And he was on the Thursday edition of America at Night. So check that out. And and that brings me to, to talk about this, this point that I wanted to make. Um, a lot of people are very upset with Durham's findings on the report. And all along, I've said, if you've listened to this show since 2018, I've been telling you, Yes, we do have a two-tiered system of justice. I'm going to say probably multi-tiered, right? It's, it's always who you know and who you are have always mattered in everything in life, right? We do have a caste system, although we don't call it a caste system. We don't have um, a monarchy or an aristocracy, but we do have people, right? We have a Bush dynasty, right? We have Clintons. We, we have people that um, that have means and that have influence in our government. That's just the truth. Whether we call it, whether we call it uh, what they call it in England or anywhere else or not, we have these things. You know, if you are the, a, a young black man 
and you get pulled over by the police and they say driver's license and registration and you're very polite and you give them your driver's license and they see it says Justin Combs and they go like Sean Combs, Sean Combs, your dad, your dad's Puff Daddy, P. Diddy. Um, Do you think they're going to give this kid a hard time if he's polite and he's not, you know, in any way provoking the police? They're going to say, you know what, Mr. Combs, have a nice day. Or, you know, what, Mr. Combs, slow down. Or, you know what, Mr. Combs, you were doing 100 in a 50. So I'm going to have to give you a ticket. But but my point is nobody's uh, trying to make trouble for it. That's not the norm, right? And that's not white privilege. That's just privilege, right? That's called I got money privilege. My dad's got a lot of money privilege. First black uh, hip-hop billionaire privilege. And they debate between Diddy or, or Dr. Dre. Oh, and the next episode of This Is America, I want to talk about AI and how AI is affecting uh, hip-hop artists like Drake and how they're making fake songs and remixes with AI that people didn't even sing these songs. But I want to get back to my, my theory here on uh, our legal system. There's a lot of things that we have in this country. There's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of everything. But there, in my opinion, there's a lot less of it here than there is anywhere else. You know, here, you're more likely to get locked up in the United States for telling a cop, hey, look, uh, hey, why don't you take a few hundred bucks and leave me alone? You're, you're likely to get locked up for that, right? You're not likely to find a cop that's going to go, all right, sure. It may happen. It may happen, but it's unlikely to happen. And this is why I say that similar to what they say about our system of justice, um, we, we don't have a perfect one. But in my opinion, I think we have the best one. The key is not to let our system rot any further than it has. We have to move forward and not move backward. Democrats have really good rhetoric and they, and they push these ideas and we have to be able to, to separate the fact from fiction and emotion and focus on logic and remove the emotion so that we can face the facts logically and, and move forward in a positive way. Otherwise we're screwed. And we can't get stuck on stupid. We can't sit here looking at the glass half empty. We've got to realize, look, that's not working. Here's what's working, and let's move on. Because uh, we can't sit here all day saying, there's no justice. There's no... What are you going to do? Cry and leave? Where are you going to go? Right? Where are you going to go? There's nowhere for you to go. This is it. We don't have to have another revolution. We just have to make this thing work. So like I always tell you, you have to stand for something. Because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Right? That's Hamilton, Lord Acton, and others. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for you to do nothing. That's all I've got. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 